Hi, welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea. I'm a certified retirement coach, and today is Thursday, July 8th, 2021. I have got the privilege today of speaking to Kim Kid Curry, and he is a radio guy turned writer after an MS, multiple sclerosis diagnosis, forced him into retirement, and now he's a really happy, happy human. And I think you'll be inspired by what he has to share with us today about his books and his life in general and how you move forward when you've got a diagnosis hanging over your head. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Nice to meet you. Kim, nice to meet you. Are you Kimberly? I am. I don't go by that. That's when I'm in trouble. No, <laughs> so that's my, your mother? Okay. Yeah, my well, parents I'm, were mad at me. I'm Kim Brell. Oh, that's lovely. Which uh, is a family last name. But my mother always told me that it was the male version of Kimberly. Huh. But I've never in my 66 years of being on the planet met another guy named Kimbrell ever. In fact, if you Google, there's only me. So <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> so, just so happens. So nice to meet you, Kim. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being here. So tell me about yourself. What's your background? Where do you come from? Well, oh no, you'll have to make sure you jump in because sometimes because I'm a radio guy, I just go on. Okay. okay. Um, I'm <laughs> I draw my finger boy. across my throat. Stop. <laughs> okay. Good, good. Um, I grew up in Colorado. Um, actually, before, before the age of 10, my father was uh, Navy and uh, was in the Korean War. And we had lived in, I don't know, Virginia Beach. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, his last station was to be a Navy recruiter in Pueblo, Colorado, which is in the middle of prairie land. And I used to think it was really crazy that the Navy sent my dad to the prairie uh, to recruit guys. Uh, but crazy enough, you know, when my dad retired in 1965, he decided, he made his decision where he was going to go by the boys that he had been recruiting. He said that the smartest kids came from this little town called Canyon City. So that's where he was going to go retire. So we retired. He retired in Canyon City, and that's where I grew up in 1965. Uh, it was a really cool little part of Colorado, and I went to high school like everybody else. When I was 17 years old, my father, who was, had, was retired after 20 years, had about 10 different jobs. By the time I was 17, he was a news guy and a sales guy at the only radio station in my hometown. And uh, he came home one day and he said that uh, his general manager, the boss, had asked him if I would babysit for them at the radio station. And I thought that that meant babysit the boss's kids. Well, what that really meant was to babysit the God Show on Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, the radio station played the prior week's church services on the radio on Sunday morning, and nobody wanted that job, so they needed the high school kid, and so that's kind of how I got started. And uh, so I went to the, uh, what, what is Southern Colorado State College back in the 70s is now the University of, wait a minute, I'm in CSU, Colorado State University in Pueblo. Uh, and that's where I went to school, learned how to be a DJ, and my radio life took off from there. And 35 years later, I got uh, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So we need to kind of talk about the beginning and the end there, okay? Yeah, please do. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if this would be appropriate to bring this in right now where uh, you mentioned your snow globe moment Oh yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah. Is that when everything well, started? Here's here's what happened. So, you know, I have this radio career, and I'm lucky enough to be involved with some very intelligent radio guys. Uh, six months after I left college, I, 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 hadn't, I went there as a music major, but the radio classes took over. I was there about two and a half years and started applying for jobs around America to be on the radio. Uh, I got a, a job offer in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, but on my way to Knoxville, uh, I thought I had to come up with a great radio name. I was going to be on at 10 o'clock at night. So I thought, well, I'll call myself, it was 1976, I'll call myself Night Smoke to be on at 10 o'clock at night. So when I when I got to the radio station, I rolled up that day, and I remember this vividly. Got out of the car, walked up the stairs. There was a lady in sitting at the receptionist desk with a big guy behind her with curly hair. And uh, I reached out my hand to the woman at the receptionist desk and I said, I'm Night Smoke, your new nighttime disc jockey. And the guy behind her says, well, 
if it isn't Kid Curry. Well, you've got to go all the way back to the 1974-75 time on ABC television. There was a takeoff of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the movie. There was a takeoff called uh, Alias Smith and Jones. It was Kid Curry and Hannibal Hayes. Oh. Kid Curry was the, a character on that show. And my, my friends used to bug me, you know, hey, Kid Curry, you know, because <laughs> my name was Kim. You know, I, I, I didn't, uh, I hated it. So he says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry, and I said, well, uh, I can't stand that name. My friends have made jokes about that name my whole life. And he said, well, then I won't sign your paycheck. (gasps) And I said, well, Kid Curry it is. (laughs) I can be persuaded. (laughs) And then uh, six months after I got that job, in fact, the guy who, who hired me at that radio station, a week after I got there, was fired. So the radio station went into disruption. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be because the guy who hired me was a legend in the business. I mean, his name was Stevie Clark. He'd been on KHJ in Los Angeles, had been in New York. So I thought I was going to go to work for this genius. And uh, come to find out, the radio station goes into dysfunction, and I wow. quit sending out air checks. The way you apply for a job as a DJ is you send all the things that you say on the radio. Take out the music, just the stuff you're saying. So we call those air checks. Well, one night on 15Q in Knoxville in my first full-time job that I was trying to get away from, I was on the radio and, and you know, you, I always wanted to come up with crazy things to say because DJs do that, especially back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So I, as Peter Frampton's song, Baby, I Love Your Way starts, it starts off with applause. And then he says, thank you. So I thought, well, I'd say, hey, Peter, your zipper's down. Thank you. (laughs) So I put that little thing on my tape, and I sent that out across America. And I sent it to a guy in Miami, uh, a guy I did not know. Uh, I just sent it to him because I just wanted to go to Miami. Uh, So I'm sitting with my roommate uh, in Knoxville. It's 1976. It's the 200th anniversary of America, and they're having the big boat thing in the New York Harbor. It's Labor Day weekend. And the phone rings, and it's, you know, Saturday, you know, Friday morning of that Labor Day weekend. And the phone rings, and my, and my roommate picks up the phone, and he looks at me, and he says, it's Jerry effing, effing Clifton, and he wants to talk to you. And I thought, who? Well, the guy who picked up the telephone was a real radiophile. A real, he really knew the business. Uh. And he knew that Jerry Clifton was on the phone and he was mad that Jerry was calling for me and not for him. So he gives me the phone and, and Jerry says, um, listen, you need to go tell your boss that you're not coming to work tonight. And then you need to go to the Knoxville airport. There's a ticket waiting for you oh. to come to Miami because I want to interview tonight about coming to my radio station 96X in Miami. Wow. So I had to make up some sort of fake thing on Friday night of Labor Day weekend. You know, the boss needed me there all weekend because it was Labor Day weekend. DJs had to show up, but I got real sick all of a sudden and, and took off down to Miami. And, and that's when I felt humidity for the first time growing <laughs> up in Colorado. Uh, but I, I was interviewing with a guy that, that was a, a radio legend. He was a real, uh, a real rebel, a real kind of, he did things the other way. You have to remember, there was a time in radio, and I don't mean to get boring here, but there was a time in AM and FM radio that only top 40 music, current music, was only played on AM radio. In the late 60s and the 70s, Though the FM radio stations were meant for rock and roll and that really laid back. And then before that you heard, and then before that you heard. Well, they didn't have top 40 high pressure radio on FM. Well, there came a time in America where that had to shift over because radio knew that AM was going to die and FM was going to be the leader. So they needed to put top 40 on an FM radio station. So Miami was one of the first places they did that. They put top 40 format on an FM radio station. Also in Miami, it was one of the first competitive situations. Because remember, radio is a very competitive thing. Radio ratings are very important. So in the 70s, you suddenly had these two FM radio stations run by powerhouses. The guy I was working for, Jerry Clifton, 
being a legend was battling a guy who was equally as legendary, only his office had the money. Those guys had bucks. They were giving away $50,000 cash prizes in 1976 before anybody on the planet ever thought of doing that. Mm. So I was working on the radio station trying to beat the monster, the big one. Uh, But we were doing everything we could. But once again, the guy I got hired by, Jerry Clifton, was responsible for a contest that was done on that radio station a couple years prior. And it was an illegal contest. So right after I, six months after I get to 96X, Jerry Clifton gets fired. And there I am once again wondering, oh, no, now what I do. And they hire some guy who he and I didn't click at all. So I start sending out those air checks across America again. And then one night on 96X, when I'm doing my radio show, there's the, the guy who is my competition on what is Y100 calls and says, listen, man, I'm leaving to go to Boston, and my boss wants you to take my place. Oh, my. Wow. Well, I, I, I knew I had a good show. That shocked me because in America, Y100 was the premier FM top 40 radio station. I was trying to beat them, knock them off, didn't think I could, but I got a job offer to go there. So eventually, I go across the street to Y100. So now in Miami, I've worked on the two legendary FM top 40 radio stations and for the two smartest guys in that form of radio. So that kind of washed over me throughout my entire career. I was very, very lucky. Uh, I got jobs because of it. And you know, it's radio. I got respect because of it, okay? Um, and I ended up working for Jerry. He hired me to be a, a program director in San Antonio, Texas. I worked again for Bill Tanner up in Washington, D.C. at Wash FM, which is another very famous radio station. So my career took me around to different stations, uh, San Antonio. Uh, we went to Washington, D.C., went to Baltimore. But, but the, for the 25 of 33 years, I was in Miami. Um, now, through those 20, through the 33 years of my life being on the radio, I had exacerbations of multiple sclerosis, but I didn't know what they were. I thought that I had been bitten by a fire ant. I thought I had been stung by a killer bee. <laughs> I would suddenly something would happen and I would be like, my arms wouldn't work and my eye would fail and, and, and I would have these strange pains and it would just be ugly. Those are exacerbations of multiple sclerosis. I didn't know what they were. I thought, fire ant, killer bee. <laughs> and then even one time there was one that happened. It was strictly done out of stress. On the radio show that I did at night, I was the teen disc jockey. I was the guy that that all the high schoolers listened to, all the junior high schoolers listened to. So every night before I went off the radio, I did a feature. I called it bed check. And what I'd let kids do was just call in and say, you know, jokes about their teacher, rip on their mom, their brother, and then I would fire a joke back at them. And the bed check became a fairly famous feature every time the Kid Curry show was on that radio station. Uh, I was, I was in Washington, D.C. So I'm, so you gotta remember now I've been to Miami, to San Antonio, and now I'm on Wash FM in Washington, D.C. at night, talking to the high school, high schoolers and junior high schoolers. But in Washington, D.C., my bed check starts getting taken over by politics. It was crazy. It was strange because I was pretty funny and suddenly I'd be getting these political calls, uh, ripping on President Reagan and, and ripping on uh, Democrats. And, and it was just weird. It was strange. And then one night I got a phone call and the guy says, hi, it's me, Frank DeFramer. And I've got President Reagan in my office right now and he's listening to the bed check. And I'm like, ha, 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 sure, funny, huh? And I went to the next call. <clears throat> this guy continued calling back. And I kept thinking, who is this? And I just said, you're nuts. And I'd hang up on him. And then one night after I hung up on him, (laughs) I thought, the next time he calls, I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask what's going on. So he did. And I called and I stopped and I said, so who are you? He says, well, my name is Frank DeFramer. 
I'm the framer of the portraits at the White House. Surprisingly enough, somebody has to do the upkeep on the frames, and that's me. I'm Frank DeFramer. So Frank DeFramer would have the president in his office listening to the bed check at night. Surprised me like crazy, but you know, Reagan was a radio guy, so it doesn't, you know, I was a pretty good radio dude, so he probably thought this is pretty fun. So, okay, now years go by. I'm now up in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, my girlfriend's grandmother comes to town, and I happen to mention to Grandma that, oh, yeah, I was I had a friend at the White House. Used to call me all the time and say, well, if you've got a friend at the White House, then you need to take me for a tour. Uh, so I call the White House. Now, I don't really know. I, he's told me this story, but I don't know if it's absolutely true. So I call the White House one day, and I'm like, I need to speak to Frank DeFramer. And they're like, oh, sure, Frank, hang on. (laughs) Whoa. Picks up the phone. Frank DeFramer. Frank, it's Kid Curry. Frank, Kid, what are you doing? How are you? How come you're not on the radio anymore down here? Well, I'm in Baltimore. It was a big conversation. I said, listen, my girlfriend wants to bring her grandmother over for a tour. No problem. I'll tell all the guys you're coming. So when you get here, just say, hey, I'm Kid Curry. They're all going to know you're coming, just, and they'll bring you right to me. So this is 1986, right after the Reagan assassination attempt. They haven't changed the security around the White House. <laughs> so I'm driving around the White House, and I'm just tooling around. And back then, you could just drive around two or three times. And then I found this road that looked like it went right up next to the side door. And I'm thinking, well, this is where I'm going. So I start driving up this road and these guys come out (laughs) with their guns. And I start going, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute. This is probably the wrong way. And the adrenaline starts to run. And the adrenaline is a stress factor that is dangerous to multiple sclerosis. When you start having stress, major stress, MS kicks in big time. So I'm driving up to this thing and I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to stop the car and I'm going to roll down my window and say, oh, Kid Curry here, I'm waiting for so, but I, but, but I don't. I can't. I can't. My arm isn't working. I can't roll it. So I reach over and I hit and I open the door and I fall out of the door. And the Secret Service guys are all like, oh, freeze, freeze. I'm like, Kid Curry, I'm here to see Frank the Framer. And they're like, Kid, oh man, are you okay? Do you need a wheelchair? Jeez, wow. So that was an exacerbation that just happened because of the stress. So I had MS all my life. It just, things ticked it off and made it happen. So, but I still not diagnosed. I still, this just happens to me and I don't think it's anything. Um, So then years go by. I have a few more exacerbations. Uh, my radio life gets to be pretty good because I go back to Miami uh, a couple of times. I went, I left Washington, D.C. Actually, I left Baltimore. Excuse me. That's where this incident happened at the White House. So I left Baltimore and went back to Miami. Uh, and then my father has a, a collision and his legs amputated here in Colorado. So I take a year sabbatical from Miami. I come home, take care of my dad to put ramps in and widen doors and things like that, which, which I thought was my responsibility. But the good news is his friends all did it for him. Anyway, it was, it was real nice of his friends to do it. But I came home. I actually got a job at a radio station in Pueblo, Colorado and worked for my college professor who, when I told him I was coming home to take care of my dad, he says, oh, you can run my radio station. So I got to run a little station in Pueblo, Colorado for my year sabbatical away from Miami. So I go back to Miami after a year taking care of my dad. And, but, and my dad's a radio guy. He's saying, go home, go back to Miami. He didn't want me there. Wow. So I get back to Miami for this. This is now my third time. And right after I get there, I get at the program director is is fired. Uh, now, this guy at one time was my assistant. When I was programming in San Antonio, he was my music director. But through osmosis and through life, he ends up becoming the, the assistant at 96X has now changed to Power 96. Okay. There's been 20 years go by, so it's evolved from 96X to Power 96. And through time, my assistant becomes the assistant 
for Bill Tanner, the guy that I was working for at the original Y100. I know this is a weird map. So he's the assistant now at Power 96. He then takes over Power 96 when Bill Tanner has to leave for certain circumstances. He's the program director, but he's, he's, he's really, he's really, I don't know, how do you say this gracefully? Cause I love the guy. He really wasn't, he, he wasn't focused on the right things to make the radio station good. And he eventually got fired. So the boss comes in to me and says, listen, we're going to make you the interim program director while we go across the country and hire a new program director. And I said, well, wait a minute. Remember, man, I've been doing this in this office for over 20 years now. There's only one person who knows how to do this, and it's me. And they were like, ah, no, no, no. Because I was the teenage disc jockey all the time, I always had groupies. And the bosses never liked groupies coming to the radio station. And although it was 1976 when I got there, you got to fast forward to 1996, groupies are still coming to the radio station to see Kid Curry. So when it, they're, I'm telling them that I need to be the boss, they're like, no, we can't make the teenage DJ, the Kid Curry guy, the program director. So six months go by, and they bring in every genius in the radio business. I'm, and they come in, and they introduce me to these guys, and they're like, this is Kid. He's our interim until we hire our guy. And, uh, and six months go by, and what I had done to the radio station, the bosses weren't paying attention. I had changed things. I had done some things that that were brand new and fairly innovative and they weren't paying attention to it and suddenly the ratings start going up so as the ratings start going up higher and higher i'm going hello remember i'm sitting here whenever you want i'll take over and they finally ended up saying it's you oh good. so i took over finally after 20 some years i got to take over the original place i got to work for in the beginning uh, and over the next nine years, we had the most success in the radio station's history. I was oh, very, very lucky. Um, but now, stress, as I mentioned, is a very big factor in multiple sclerosis. And radio stations don't shut off. So when they're your responsibility and you're the program director, uh, I was... I'm an A-type personality in the first place, but as when I became the program director of that radio station, it mattered to me. I wanted to prove to these guys that they had made the right decision. So I worked relentlessly all the time, 24 hours a day. I'd get up at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning to make sure the DJs were saying the right things and mm -hmm. playing the right promos. I'd be in my office desk at 6 a.m. to greet the morning show to make sure they were ready with everything they needed. I'd take care of all my staff meetings all day long. I mean, I was killing it for nine years. And then in 2004, one moment, mm -hmm. I come home. I bring my wife and my kids here to Colorado to visit my mother for Christmas. That is the... No, it wasn't Christmas. It was, I'm sorry. It was around, if you go back to 2004, there was a tsunami in 2004. And it was the first one we'd all seen. Because remember, you could see it on TV. It was, yeah. you'd never seen video like that. And it was extremely stressful. Uh, and I, I was overtaken. I, that's all I could watch on TV the whole time. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're at home. We're visiting my mother. Um, I'm watching this tsunami happen. My mother's looking at me like there's something wrong with you. Your eye is drooping. You're not walking straight. What's going on with you? And, and when my mom noticed that these things were going on, that really made me decide to figure out what was happening to me. So by March of 2005, I'm in the doctor's office uh, going through the regimen of tests for multiple sclerosis. And it takes six weeks. Uh, you go through electric shock, you go through pins and needles and eye mapping and brain mapping and, and you know, MRIs and, but it, it ends with spinal tap because they have to look at the fluid in your spine. Uh, and unfortunately, that particular day when they went to look for my spinal fluid, they couldn't find it. I had four spinal taps in one day over a four hour period. Wow. Uh, they ended up having to put me under a, an x-ray machine because apparently the MS had taken hold of my spinal fluid and they had to put me under an x-ray machine, find it, and then take the spinal fluid. And then a month later, they come to me and they, I'm actually over, I was over at my corporate office. Uh, it was, uh, I think, April 
April 2005. Uh, we had just got done with a big meeting. My cell phone rings and I go to another room and my doctor says, I've looked at all this and I believe uh, that I'm going to now diagnose you with multiple sclerosis. So I go back into the meeting and I pack up my briefcase. Bye, guys. I get in my car and if you know anything about Florida, Alligator Alley is between Naples and Fort Lauderdale. So I had to drive back from Naples back to Fort Lauderdale to go to Miami and it's a three hour ride. I'm on the cell phone to my wife for those three hours going, honey, the doctor says it's MS. So my wife gets on the whatever Google machine you had in 19, 2005 and she starts reading about MS and on the way home, I find out all about a disease I'd never even heard of, never even thought really? about. Hmm. Uh, didn't, didn't even know. And, and by the time I got home, I realized that what was happening to me could be fatal. And, uh, so when I got home, my wife and I spent that weekend, uh, uh, in, in, in deep discussion about what was going on because I knew we could see what was happening to me was coming on really fast. Mm -hmm. And there was, it was an acceleration of my symptoms over about a six month period. So I went in on Monday and uh told the boss that was it that was our snow globe moment when the doctor okay. said you've got ms everything stopped for us within a 48-hour period i decided that was it and the reason i decided that was it is because you know i said i'm an a-type personality running power 96 was a life dream for me and it was important to me to not to not let the station hesitate. I didn't want it to slow down because of my situation. And I had become, instead of 100% power 96, within a matter of a couple of hours, I was 100% multiple sclerosis. And so all of a sudden, the radio station didn't matter to me. So I decided I got to go because I don't want it to fail because of me, because I'm not focused. So I went in on Monday and told the boss that was it. And, uh, and that's when it all changed. It all changed. Um, um, what kind of MS were you diagnosed with? Well, I um, eventually I was. Uh, I have relapsing remitting multiple okay. sclerosis. It's gone for a while, and then it comes back. Um, now I can tell you that that there's a real that here's here's what happens when you're Kid Curry, and you know you spent a life as the DJ that you know, hosts halftime shows at the Orange Bowl and, uh, you know, does Marlins seventh inning stretches. And, uh, you know, I had become quite a big star in some markets. And yeah. then when I became the program director and we had the success we had at Power 96 in, in radio management terms, I became a very, people were migrating towards me my whole life. But when you get diagnosed with a disease that puts you onto a cane and then into crutches and then into a wheelchair, people move away from you. And it was a very tough mental thing for oh, me gosh. for a long, long time. I can only um, imagine. You know, I and and then what I had to do, then because it, it, it really did affect me mentally and I tried to do everything I could to not think about it. Uh, I tried to... in. You know, here I was not able to walk, but my wife let me buy a John Deere tractor so that I could do upkeep on my property. We went out to Colorado and we uh, did fixing and flipping houses because we had to have some sort of income. So when we moved out to Colorado after I got diagnosed, we started fixing and flipping. But we had an acre of land that I had upkeep and I uh, had rocks, uh, I had to put rocks out and did all the landscaping myself. And I did it with my John Deere tractor. And I had to do it by lifting my leg and putting it on the accelerator and then lifting my leg and hitting the brake and trying to stop the thing. Uh, because I wouldn't in my mind think I didn't want to have MS. One thing that I've always, I've always thought, my doctor always says, man, you just don't think you have this, do you? Because in my mind, I'm trying to get past this. I can't let it anymore do what it was doing because it really got me for eight years. I can tell you that, that not only was the disease taking me down, but the mental state was taking me down. And then, you know, I was on a, I was on an MS drug called Rebif. 
And I was on that drug for probably six, seven, eight years. And my doctors, in the beginning when I got MS, there were only five drugs available. Uh, after I had had it for a few years, uh, there were now eight, and the doctor wanted me to try a new one. Um, Copaxone was one that had been out for a while, so the doctor told me to stop taking the Rebith injections, which were every day. Oh, wow. You know? That's a lot. Um, and, and unfortunately, Rebith causes these welts under your skin, and so I still have welts um, that, that, and who knows, the drug just caused that. But the doctor got me onto Copaxone, and then he was adamant about this, and I think this has a lot to do with my condition. He said, you have got to start taking vitamin D, because I am adamant about the fact that vitamin D is important for MS patients. All humans need vitamin D, but for some reason, MS patients don't absorb hardly any vitamin D. So I want you to take high doses of vitamin D. Well, as a radio DJ... I'd done the morning show. I made jokes about my mother taking vitamin C. Oh, you got to take that vitamin C to keep your cold away. And they call me in sniffles and say, oh, I'm not taking enough vitamin C. So I never thought a vitamin could do anything. So I laughed for, for six months. And every time we went to the doctor, my wife would say, you've got to listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. So six months after the Copaxin change, I started taking 5,000 IUs every day of vitamin D. Six months later, my wife and I started noticing that, wait a minute, nothing's getting worse. Mm. Everything's kind of like leveling off. Um, and it gave me hope for the first time in eight years. And it was incredible how, how suddenly my mind was, was clear and I could see that maybe I wasn't going to die. Maybe I could get through this. Uh, maybe this thought that I've been having the whole time that I don't have MS is really going to pay off because maybe I'm going to get past this. Uh, so, you know, um, about three years after that, a very important thing happened to me to pick up my mental attitude. I had left the radio business in 2005 and disappeared. Power 96, very influential in the business, and Kid Curry just disappeared. Eight years go by, and there was a gentleman by the name of Vince Pellegrino. He ran a, a radio trade magazine called Street Information Network. Now, you all see the Grammys. You know those guys get the Grammy Awards, but they would not get a Grammy were it not for the record promoters who get the program directors to play the songs mm. so that they become big hits. So these promoters never get accolades, never had gotten accolades for years until Vince Pellegrino in the late 70s, early 80s, started having this uh, big ceremony in New York City at B.B. King's Blues Club every year. And he'd have all the big promoters come in and, and give awards out to the guys who got the Britney Spears songs on the radio That's awesome. and, uh, and got the White Clef Jean songs on the radio. And it became a very big industry thing because it was for radio people, the programmers who listened to the promoters and put the songs on it. It became a really big, it wasn't the Grammys, but it was a really big inside industry event. That's nice. My friend Vince, he and I were very close when I was on the radio. Uh, his birthday is April Fool's Day, and I'm a 420 baby. So every year, uh, even after I got sick every year, I'd get a hello on an email or happy birthday on a phone call real quick, or and I would do the same thing for him on, on April Fool's Day. But that was the only contact we really ever had was that quick moment birthday, because Vince a very busy guy, and I got nothing, so I wasn't doing anything. So I was just glad to get the call. It made me feel good every year. And then one year he called and he said, you know what? I think I want to give you a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh. Uh, everybody wants to know what happened to you and you disappeared. So you need. I'm going to fly you and your family out to New York. You're going to come to my uh, Sin Information Network Awards. And, uh, and I'm going to give you this. So everybody wants to see you. So he flies me out to New York. And the first time anybody would seen me in a wheelchair, the last time they saw me, I was this aggressive, don't get in my way, Kid Curry. And then, then I'm, I'm in a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, I get to see Vince for the first time in, you know, 
almost 10 years and it was good seeing Vince. Uh, I missed him a lot. And so he gets me on stage, introduces me and, and, and the crowd just goes nuts. I see people of my 30 year career. Oh. Uh, and it was really nice. The accolades, the fun, the love was just wonderful. Uh, so the next morning, Vince comes to the, to the hotel to have breakfast with me. And Vince proceeds to tell me that I'm really sick, man. I'm not going to be here much longer. Oh. I brought you out here because I want you to wake up. I want you to do something. You can't sit back anymore. And I kind of took that <laughs> as, you know, trying to get back in the radio and music industry. But, you know, there was eight years had gone by and it's a very fluid business. And every six months there's a new hit. Uh, so I, I couldn't do anything. There was nothing I could do that would matter in radio and, and, and music. So what I thought I would do is tell my story. I thought maybe I'll learn how to write and I'll tell my story. I'll get all the way up to the Vince thing because that's what really matters to me. How Vince came and pulled me up and said, come on, man, you got to do something. So now what I'm going to do is write. So I went out and hired a writing coach. I found the lady who... Uh, actually founded the Northern Colorado Writers Association way back years ago. Uh, she had retired. I had gone to one of their meetings, the Northern Colorado Writers uh, meeting, and and told the lady who was in charge of the meeting that I'm a famous radio DJ and I need to write my memoir. So you need to find someone to help me do this. So she said, well, the only person I think who might want to help you is the lady who founded it. And her name is Carrie Flanagan. So I I, I get this, you know, connection and i i reach out to carrie and and it's it's like november it's uh maybe october uh and i don't know this could have been 2017 18 i don't know around there and so i i tell her that i need to write a memoir you need to teach me how to do this and she says well you need to read these books first because i'm not talking to you till you figure out how to do this so she assigned me these books and made me read for six months i had to study these books before she even oh. talked to me but what she did was she, the book that really mattered to me was a book called saves save save the cat strikes back it teaches you to write very simply you write you find the spine of your story and then all the little stories have to weave back to the spine of the story and it made very sense very clear sense to me as i was writing my memoir i thought aha this is going to help me so she so then after i read my six months then she makes me practice for six months i i feed things back to her you know i was getting the you know you get your little red note and red marks yeah. on your paper <laughs> yeah i get my little red marks on my stuff that i've written and then then i did research uh while she was testing me and i spent another six months after that writing my memoir and uh so that's what i've done i've become a writer now i've had all this pent-up energy and i after I got, after I, I survived the worst part of my life, after I was not dying from MS. And, and listen, I have the same thing that was happening to me four years ago is still happening. In fact, right now we talk about stress. I'm talking to you. My legs are sticking straight out because my adrenaline is running. Mm -hmm. And in my MS, remember MS is lesions on the brain. My lesions are around where my lower body is functioning. So my, my MS, and everybody has their own MS, my MS affects from my mid-thigh down to my feet and my toes. It also affects my eye, my shoulder, and some days my throat is just completely gone. And that's what my MS is. Uh, everybody has different MS. So I had to learn, I, I, that's where I'm at. And so now that's where I, what I do every day. And I've, in my mind, I don't really have it. My wife allows me, affords me to have everything I need to live a good life. I get to drive a car with hand controls. You know, I have a wheelchair in my insurance, of course, but it's a motorized wheelchair. I use this in the house. I have an elevator that takes me from this level down to the ground level so that I can get out of the house. And then in order for me to go anywhere, I would have to have a vehicle that takes my electric wheelchair or I'd have to have my own wheelchair, a manual wheelchair. 
that's where if you read my book, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through, which is my memoir, I get into the whole thing about how expensive it is to be disabled in America. Uh, I, I have to have a wheelchair so I can go out. Uh, I can't take this one because I don't have a vehicle for this. I'd have to buy a whole vehicle. So I have a, 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 a one that I just manual that I put in my in my car. I crawl along the side of my car and open up my trunk and I pull my wheelchair out and fold it and I land in it. And that's how I get out. But I get to drive. My I have hand controls. So I get to get out as much as I can as a normal person. And it's only because of my wife. She, um, you know, I, I talk about my changes and how I've been able to come through all of this. But my wife, um, who was my date at the Grammys for many, many years, uh, we came out here when I got diagnosed and we did some fixing and flipping of houses. She didn't like the way the realtors were treating her. So she went out and got a real estate license. <laughs> and oh. then two years later, she's breaking real estate records in the state of Colorado. So my wife immediately clicked on how to do this. In fact, she's now not even selling houses. She's gone from consulting, from doing that, now she's a consultant. And in the beginning, she was consulting almost any realtor. Now, if you don't sell 100 houses a year, you can't have my wife as a consultant. So my wife has, has had an amazing change. She is the master. She has, it's an international worldwide thing she does. She's a, a consultant to businesses around the world and has clients, probably 40 to 50 clients that she speaks to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then picks up all the bad stuff on Friday. But she speaks to them in half hour segments from seven in the morning until five o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in half-hour segments. She's talking around the world and coaching their business. That's they give interesting. Her, uh, they give her all their P&Ls. They give her everything. And she helps them create and make their business better. And she's really good at it. Gosh. So this is, you know, as much as I've, you know, my wife has just blossomed. You know, I always knew she was good. <laughs> but she is really good. So oh, I'm a big that's fan cool. of my wife. You both have gone through a lot of transformation then. Well, it's it was really tough. And I can tell you that we were scared a lot. For those, yeah. had I not had that medicine change and that vitamin D thing, I don't know what would have happened to me. Mm. Um, but, but when my condition leveled off, it gave us a chance. And we were like, whoa, maybe this isn't going to hurt so much. Maybe oh. we're going to be okay. That's, and that's uh, I can tell you that, hope. that this is... I, I kind of look at MS as a good thing for me, you know. I mean, I know that uh, if I stop taking my MS drugs, uh, it will come back twice as bad. Mm -hmm. So I'm on this on the on this Copaxin. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, and nothing's changed. I feel pretty good. My mental state is good. Uh, I now write constantly. I read all the time. You know, as a radio DJ. You read current events. I mean, I've read, read every newspaper in Miami, USA Today, People Magazine, uh, even the National Enquirer and all those old goofy <laughs> magazines from back in the day that are now television shows. But, um, <laughs> so, but so I read those kind of current events. I'd never read a book until I started thinking about being a writer. And that's when I first read Save the Cat Strikes Back. I read a book from cover to cover for the first time. And now I'm, you know, I'm now into Angels and Demons by Dan Brown. I just got done with The Da Vinci Code a month ago or so. I've read To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, A Wealth of Pigeons, which is Steve Martin. Uh, it's a funny book, picture book. Okay. Uh, Stephen King. Uh, I, I just read all the time now. And, and, and actually, I don't read. I'm I'm a I'm an audio book guy. Mm, me too. I'm an audible guy. In fact, both of my books are on Audible too. So, and I read okay. them myself. Thank you. <laughs> okay, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Well, you got you got the radio background, I, you know, with your voice you, and everything. Yeah, so uh, my wife kept saying, "People are going to think it's funny that someone else is telling your story." Mm. Okay, because it was my wife who convinced me to do it. I wasn't going to do it, but ah. and then, you know, then. 
so I decide I'm going to go ahead and, and do my audio book. So I find a recording studio here in Fort Collins, Colorado, where it's, which is where I'm at. Come to find out the only, the best, the, I Googled it, the best recording studio in Fort Collins. And it's the, it's Descendants, which is a punk rock band out of LA 30 years ago. They started maybe 40 years ago now. They're based out of Fort Collins, and the drummer, Bill Stevens, is, 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 is still there, drumming like a wild man. And so it's this famous, it's Dependence. If you can Google, look them up, they're huge in the punk rock land. So I go to, and Bill invites me in to see his studio, uh, and and he agrees to record my my uh, audiobooks for me. And Here's what happened. It's such an old building that it's not handicap accessible. Oh. So I had to take my crutches. My legs go nuts when I'm on my crutches. So I had to get into this building and it's a beautiful studio. I mean, I, I started going to criteria when I was a baby. Okay. So I know all about studios. It was a real nice studio, but there was a long hallway. And by the time I got down to the studio to talk to these guys, I had taken my daughter with me to assure that I wouldn't fall over. But by the time I got into the studio to talk to these guys, my legs are sticking straight out. Oh. I'm having seizures, MS seizures. I'm like, I need you guys to record my memoir. I figure, oh, I swear, I, I'm a real guy. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so then he sent his recording head to my house, and they put together a recording studio in my house. So I can oh, work here. That's so everything I incredible. do, in fact, behind me there is my sound booth. Um, I do all my own editing. So both my books, I read and edited and downloaded and did all the... But when it came time to send them to Audible, Bill let me have his recording studio guy back because he had to do all the fine-tuning. So, okay. you know, I really love Bill and uh, Independence. I didn't know anything about this punk rock band, but now I'm a big fan, man. So Okay. I'll, I'll include some links in the show notes here, so and that'll be one of them. Because, <laughs> you know, it. people can look them up. That's pretty cool. Sure. You've met some really wonderful people along your path so far I'm a pretty Sounds lucky like, guy yeah I, I, once again i think you're you, you get out of life what you put into it i try to be a pretty positive person uh, you don't run radio stations and try to appeal to people uh by being a negative mm. uh, my whole life was trying to make people happy do good things for people and uh, on my radio show and then when it came time for the radio station we did some very unique things at power 96 in miami uh, they've never had the success uh, that they had when I was there. Uh, they're still on, uh, and they're fighting for minuscule ratings compared to what we had. But, you know, it was, it was a very famous, proper place to work, and they took very good care of me, and I was very proud to be there. Um, but my snow globe moment changed my life, and I'm now a different person. I'm a writer. I look uh, daily. I'm here every morning by 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. I'm writing on a variety of different projects. Um in fact, if I may, uh, I've just got finished redoing my website. It's at krcurry.com, okay. krcurry.com, where you'll be able to uh, hear, see all the information about my books, my memoir, and, of course, my uh, fiction that I wrote. Uh, and it, it, being a radio guy, uh, I went through a thing that not too many people know about, especially young people, that everyone now should know about. In 1987, Ronald Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine. And what that was, was the FCC rule that required equal time for contrasting points of view. In other words, if you're old like me, remember Saturday Night Live, they had point, counterpoint. Mm -hmm. They had, uh, and that's when Jane, you ignorance. When yeah. they finally, when Dan Aykroyd said that to, to her, because they were having it, because there was a time when, when if someone made a point on broadcast television or radio, and it was a lie or a conspiracy, you, me, any citizen had the right to go to that radio and TV station and demand equal time to give a contrasting point of view. So in 1987, Ronald Reagan rescinded that part of the doctrine. So then what you get is lies and conspiracies. That was the beginning of Rush Limbaugh. Many people believe that 1987, when Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine, is the reason we have the division we have in America today. So oh, my book, The Death of Fairness, is a, is a short story, a fiction, that spawned my third book, which I am right now waiting for word on uh, agents, uh, 
to help with this book. So uh, my writing is real important to me now. And I'm kind of on this, I'm really on this fairness doctrine thing. Uh, I've, I've been doing some real research and consulting some very smart people. And, and, you know, even today, even these days, you can go on Facebook and you'll see debates about whether the fairness doctrine should be here, should be back. Uh, they still fight about it in Congress. But I can tell you that there's a certain party that doesn't want it to come back. Because they want the right to lie without debate. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, I'm hoping that, that this next book spawns a young woman to take it upon herself to get to Congress and bring back the fairness doctrine. Mm. Uh, so that's my next book. It's a good one, too. I think you'll like it, too. They sound great. They sound really interesting. I, 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 I was not aware writing. of the fairness act. So that's, that? I was not aware of the Fairness Act so or the history of that. So that's very well, interesting. And, and that's why, you know, because I was in radio, that's kind of what spawned the, the story. You know, I, I, was, I was a radio DJ that used to come home and visit his radio guy dad, okay? And my dad and I would talk about what, what happened after the Fairness Doctrine was rescinded. Uh, our little hometown radio station had guys from our hometown, Al Madrill, you know, you had Bob Stevens, you had Bill Kafka, guys right there from Canyon City, our, our hometown on the radio. Well, suddenly you had all these guys getting fired and they would put on these these talk shows, these radical talk shows that used to make my dad very angry because his friend got fired and now they've got this liar on this damn radio yeah. station. And it would drive my dad crazy. Uh, so that's where the book came from. Uh, I told the story of what happened to a small American town and its only radio station after Ronald Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. That is the death of fairness. Oh, that sounds like a very interesting read. It's a short read, but it's, it's pretty good. But yeah. I can tell you know what I did? Well, do you have time? Am I going on? <laughs> Oh, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. Okay. We'll do about 10 more there, minutes if that's okay with you. That'd be great. Okay, no problem. There's a company called Tail Flick. Uh, you know, there, there are so many platforms that need content right now in America. Netflix, Apple, you know, the Barack Obama's got his own thing now. And all these platforms need content. So there's a clearinghouse known as Tail Flick. And they will take the project, look at your project, read through it, and give you honest analysis. And so... It's funny that when I was just about finished with my third book, when I got my analysis back of the death of fairness. And when I got the analysis back, they're like, this is a great topic. We love it, but you need to be more in depth. You need to tell more of a story about this person and that person. Well, I had, I had just finished it. <laughs> I, just <laughs> I was done. It because I, I had just spent the last six months, maybe eight months, finishing that book. And so as I'm reading their, their overview, I'm like going, I did that. I did that. I did that. So that's why I'm out shopping the, the, uh, my new book now, which is called, uh, geez, where is it? A Bonnie's Law, The Return to Fairness. Um, uh, and, and, and it's getting real good reviews from people who've seen it. Uh, you know, the publishing world is such that you never really, everyone thinks they've written the great American novel. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can try like crazy to get a publisher. And it's very difficult to do so. But fortunately, in America, you can self-publish. And it works very well. My other two books were self-published, and they worked very well. So if I don't get an agent and I don't get a publisher, I will be publishing this book. And I'm going to do it... Uh, because I've been able to practice a couple of times, I think I can do it really well this time. So you're going to hear about this one, I promise. Well, that's inspiring. Well, thank you. That's I pretty cool. You've, you've really reinvented yourself. Well, yeah, I was, I can tell you that I'm surprised, you know, about where I was. I, I didn't like me. I didn't like me at all. Hmm. I didn't like that I, I was dying. <laughs> didn't like that I was failing my family, my wife. I didn't like that I failed my radio station. I didn't, you know, I didn't get to finish my career. I mean, I, I thought my finish would be in L.A. or New York or because I was really rolling. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to finish. And I now I've developed a finish complex. I have a finish fetish now, <sighs> you know, because it was important to finish my memoir. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I wanted to finish it. 
I mean, you get deep into a book and there's probably, I don't know, 60, 70,000 words in that thing. And I'm trying like crazy just to finish it. So then when I got my second book, I was like, I just want to, I've got this idea. I just want to finish the idea. And then now my third book, I got this idea. I just want to finish the third book. So now I'm really into finishing things because I didn't get to finish my radio career, which brings me to this. Memorial Day, I'm watching TV and I'm watching the CBS Evening News and they're, they're doing their story about Americans across the country who are playing taps. Regular trumpet players who are at 3 p.m. playing taps in honor of those who've passed away of our <laughs> military veterans. So I'm watching that story and I think to myself, wait a minute, I went to college as a trumpet playing music major. Now I haven't played the trumpet in 40 years, but I'm going to take the next year and by this time in a year from now, I will be playing taps at 3 p.m. outside my door uh, right here. So I have now, I have purchased a, a little B-flat trumpet I saw on Amazon. Now, how did they know? I didn't say this out loud. I did not say it out loud. And suddenly one day I get this thing in my feed. Wow. I see this little cute trumpet. Ooh. And I'm like, wait a minute. <sighs> they so, know. They just know uh, they stuff. Know. It's they creepy. Know. Yeah. Something I said to my wife, they heard it. But I went and bought me a trumpet. So, and I got it about a week after, maybe nine days after Memorial Day. I'm now into the second month of practicing. Good for you. Um, I can tell you that it's, uh, it's, 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 <laughs> in fact, when I started playing, cause I, I had, I have a 5C, that's a trumpet talk, mouthpiece that I, I kept from when I was a kid. And it's, it's a, it's, it's an advanced mouthpiece. So by the time I decided to do this until the trumpet came in the mail, I started buzzing this little mouthpiece thinking, well, I'll get my embouchure all ready for this. I'll be able to knock this right out, you know. So the trumpet comes in and I look at it and I buzz my lips and I put in the mouthpiece. It, the one that it comes with is a 7C mouthpiece. Remember, I had a 5C. Mm -hmm. Now I'm at a 7C. That's the one I should have. So I start blowing on the trumpet. I'm I can't believe it. I try it again. I'm going to have to send this thing back. It's broken. <laughs> it wasn't broken. <laughs> Finally, after about 10 minutes, I hit a sustained note and I thought, that's what it's supposed to sound like. So uh, I have a long way to go in the next year. And as because I'm writing about this, I, I'm blogging this on my website. Uh, on my, yeah. So... I, I'm making sure that I'm making all the notes about what's happening. And this, I sound like a, a moose, a, a wailing moose right now because <laughs> I'm not doing very well. I wanted to look up on Google and try to describe the sounds I was making. So I Googled, what is the sound a beginning trumpet player makes? And as I'm reading along, this thing says, by the time a trumpet player is in eighth grade, they should have full availability to hit a C above the staff. Now, <laughs> I need that C <laughs> to play taps. So I am now in fifth grade again because oh. I started playing trumpet in fifth grade. I'm about as good as I was in fifth grade. So in the next year, I've got to get to eighth grade to be able to play this taps, which I've committed to, and I'm committing to finish. I will get to it. So I now have a finish fetish. That seems like you've whatever you set your mind to, you do. Well, like your whole life is what you've done. I realize you didn't finish at the radio station, but you know you made it big and made a lot of really good connections, and you went really, really far. And now much. you're just writing books and and hammering it out. And now yes. there's a trumpet. So it's been a, it's been a fun life, and I can tell you once again, MS saved me because uh, had this not happened the way it did, I, you know, I, I who knows what could have happened. Mm. So fortunately. I believe in the modern science, the magic of modern science. Well, that is cool. And you talk about vitamin D, and I've interviewed a lot of people, um, functional medicine doctors. And one woman I spoke with, she starts people out at twenty five to 30,000 IUs of vitamin D. And she works because it fixes stuff. It fixes a lot of pain problems and mental health problems. And then she brings them down to 10,000 and they stay on that 10,000 a day. So it, vitamin D seems to be the drug. So I'm, I'm so happy that you 
did that and it was so effective for you? In the beginning of the pandemic, you'll know if you go back, they started saying things like, you know, you probably ought to take vitamin D because it helps the respiratory system. Whatever it does, it helps your respiratory system. So they said in the very beginning of the pandemic to start taking vitamin D. My whole family does. We all do. Oh, that's great. It's important. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we just don't eat the way that maybe our ancestors did. And we get a lot of foods that maybe are depleting us of things. So it's good to be open to it. I'm glad you tried and you had good luck with it. Vitamin D is a sunshine vitamin. It's just that we've messed with the ozone so much. Never mind. Well, yeah, you can't sit out in the sun to get what you need. It's harder to process. So I think that's yes. great. Um, so I guess I, I want to ask you a question before we, well, let me ask you two questions here. So on a happiness level of 1 to 10, where would you say you are, Mr. Kid Curry? Well, right now, probably nine, and I'll be 10 when I get my book out. That's awesome. I I live a really good life. I'm very fortunate. My wife and I, I don't, you know, I'm a very fortunate man. That's Uh, great. um, So uh, I'm a pretty happy man. And my daughters, my kids, my my kids are great. I've got uh, three girls and a boy. My son still lives around the area. My youngest is still in the house. She's 17. Uh, she last year during the pandemic went out and spent her money on a brand new horse. Mm. So we are horse people now. That's She's cool. always been an equestrian. Well, not always. In fact, my two youngest daughters are equestrians. My second, my next to the youngest, okay, next to the youngest uh, is on a scholarship to Auburn, uh, an equestrian scholarship. So my, young, my two youngest girls are horse people and I haven't won the lottery. <laughs> you better. <laughs> I better. You know? need that but you know, I would rather. I, my girls are strong because of what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my 17 year old hangs out at the barn with all these very smart equestrian women. And, uh, you know, I, there's, I got no problem with that. They rule mm-hmm. the world. So, you know, I, I'm, you know, as you can see, my wife, uh, is, I'm a big female. I'm a guy. Yeah. I'm a guy who loves women. <laughs> yeah. My wife yeah. is a star. My kids are stars. So I'm, I'm, I'm real lucky. Uh, I'm real proud of my daughters. Oh, that's cool to see. Here's the last question I want to ask you because you're not really retired. I mean, you did retire from what you're doing, but now you're a writer. So I would like to ask you if you could give any advice to somebody who's listening who maybe has a physical limitation or condition that really they feel like they can't move forward because of that or it's holding them back and i want to know which if you have any advice advice for people about how to move forward i am spiritual without religion i don't i'm not a religious person Mm -hmm. Uh, spiritual i believe that kindness is in your dna i believe that the ability to be good is part of who you are um and i believe that you need to con I'm a mind control guy. I believe you have to control your mind. What you put in there is what matters. And if you're putting in things that pollute your brain, uh, you're going to make yourself sick. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a positive person. I believe that you should wake up every day and believe that if you saw the sun, it's a good thing and you should go on. And uh, you should make everything as good as you possibly can for those around you and uh, do everything you can for yourself that makes you a better person, whatever that may be. You know, I know that some people, I go to, to men over 50 with MS meetings, and, and I, I deal with some very sick men. Um, you know, you go to the doctor's office, and you sit in the, in the waiting room. You don't really talk to anybody. I didn't, I didn't really understand my MS until I went to the men over 50 with MS meetings when all these guys were saying the same things that I was saying. These things are happening to me. But you begin to love these guys. You begin to really pay attention to them. And I really, you know, I, I, some of them have become good friends. Uh, and it bothers me that, that some of them have given up. Uh, you know, some of them aren't getting the help I got from MS drugs. They've changed and it hasn't helped. And, and I, it bothers me when people give up. I just can't give up. Uh, I, I want everyone to remember that you have a reason to be here. Uh, you're supposed to be here because you're here. So you have to make this your life. You have to make this what you need to do to make your existence right. So I believe that you have to control your mind. It's real important. Do good things for people. Karma, it pays, but it pays. <laughs> do good things. It's, I always do, I taught my kids the bouncing ball. If you do good things, the ball will come back and it'll come back good. So do good things. It's the bouncing ball. 
Thank you so much. I want to thank you for your time today. For those of you who've been listening, it's with Kim Kid Curry, and you can find him at krcurry.com, and Curry is C U R R Y. And you can also follow him on Facebook at K.R. Curry, the author. He's got a page there. You can go find out what he's up to right there. And I will put the links for those in the show notes, as well as the links to some of the things he's been talking about, including his books. So you can check him out there. And I'm sure you feel like I do. He's an absolute inspiration and a role model of how to move forward and how to retire and do it well without actually quitting, but just reinventing yourself. It's awesome. I really want to thank you for your time today. I appreciate your time, Kim. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach, so if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now. Bye for now.